Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, the weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. Clark Corbin is on vacation this week, but I will not be flying solo. In a few minutes, I will have an interview with Beth Oppenheimer, the executive director of the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children. We will talk about early education issues in the state and also talk about her work as a recently elected member of the Boise School Board. But first, some headlines. A big headline out of the Trump administration this week as the administration announced plans to get rid of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Now, this is a controversial program dating back to the Obama administration. It uh, shields young undocumented immigrants from deportation, and there are about 3,100 Idahoans who are covered under DACA. It's unclear what will happen with those 3,100 Idahoans, and it's unclear what's going to happen with DACA. The Trump administration wants to get rid of the program after six months, but allow Congress time to act on immigration issues. The reactions in Idaho were extremely mixed. Republican politicians, including Governor Butch Otter and Attorney General Lawrence Wasden, hailed the Trump administration's ruling. Now, both had threatened to sue the federal government over DACA if DACA was not eliminated. State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra said that the decision lends uncertainty to the future of DACA recipients in Idaho. And Boise State University President Bob Kustra said he would work with other university presidents to provide or work towards a pathway to citizenship for DACA recipients. We'll have much more on this topic next week. I've asked J.J. Saldana from the Idaho Commission on Hispanic Affairs to sit down and talk to me more about DACA and the implications in Idaho, so come back next week for that interview. State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra's budget proposal is out on the streets. We talked about this somewhat last week. The budget numbers came out on September 1st. The reactions now to this budget are somewhat mixed. Rob Winslow from the Idaho Association of School Administrators complimented the budget and said that it responds to his group's needs. Uh, Carrie Overall of the Idaho Education Association says that the budget doesn't go far enough. I sat down with uh, Sherry Ibarra this week, talked about the budget at length, and she described it as a stay-the-course budget with no new initiatives. If you go to idahoheadnews.org, you can see my interview with her, see some video from that interview, and get more details about the budget proposal. In other political news, go to idahoheadnews.org. We're continuing our series interviewing candidates on the 2018 ballot, uh, asking them in detailed questions about education topics. This week we have an interview with Lieutenant Governor Brad Little about his gubernatorial campaign, and we have an interview with State Representative Luke Malik talking about federal education issues and his run for the 1st Congressional District. So check those out at idahoadnews.org. And now let's shift gears. Beth Oppenheimer is a fixture at the Idaho State House. She is perhaps the state's most high-profile advocate for pre-K and early childhood education. But in the past year, she's undergone an education of her own as a newly elected member of the Boise School Board. I had a chance to sit down to talk to her this week about both of these topics. Give a listen. Joining us now is Beth Oppenheimer. She's the executive director of the Idaho Association for the Education of Young Children. She's one of the preeminent voices on early education and pre-K in Idaho. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Kevin. So I wanted to start by updating our listeners on, on a project that 
we wrote about a few months ago. Uh, you received a large grant from the Kellogg Foundation, yes, the Serial Foundation from, from Michigan, to study the pre-K issue in Idaho. Walk us through kind of the, the genesis of that project and what you're finding out now a few months into the, into the work. Sure, I'm happy to. So about a year ago, we started this project. It's the first year of a three-year project. And as you said, we received a pretty significant grant from the Kellogg Foundation. And when we were working with the Kellogg Foundation, one of the things that we were talking about was, um, you know, what we keep doing is we keep trying to push this football down the field Mm -hmm. in terms of um, finding ways to support state-funded preschool. And so we keep pushing this football down the field, but what we're missing is we don't really know what Idahoans think and know about early childhood education. And so what we wanted to do was kind of take a big step back and use this first year of the grant to do some pretty significant research and find out what Idahoans across the state know and think about early childhood education. So what we have done over this past year, we're kind of finishing up this first year, is that we have been able to do a statewide poll, um, and we did an oversample of parents with children ages zero to five. So we did the statewide poll. We've also um, been able to have two focus groups. We did one focus group in Idaho Falls, and that focus group was primarily parents of young children. And then we also did a focus group up north a couple weeks ago in Coeur d'Alene, And that focus group was really targeted to um, likely voters who consider themselves very conservative. So that was a really interesting focus group as well. We also have done another statewide survey of child care providers, preschool teachers, and early childhood educators to find out what their thoughts are on um, safe investments in preschool. Um, sometimes you hear um, from a child care provider or a preschool, private preschool teacher that if the state invests in preschool, the fear is that it's going to take away their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we did that survey, because we really wanted to get a good sense of what our early childhood educators think about the state investing in preschool. So it's been a lot of data gathering, and mm-hmm. it's been quantitative with the survey and, and also qualitative when you get to the, the focus groups. What's jumped out at you in this data gathering process? What did you learn that you didn't expect to see, or what surprised you? Sure. Um, a few things, actually. Uh, I, I, you know, you never know, and you're always scared to ask the question when you don't know the answer. Um, and what we have found out, and Kevin, we will be releasing a big report over the next couple of months, so okay. look for that this fall that, that we're happy to share with you. But I can certainly um, provide you some highlights. What we are seeing is from the statewide poll is that um, a lot of parents and voters didn't know that the state d- doesn't invest in mm-hmm. preschool education. So that was really surprising when, when we asked, does the state... Uh, invest in in preschool education, a little less than half said no, but close to a half said, well, maybe, but we don't really know. So, I mean, that gives us the information that that there's a lot of education opportunities for educating our voters and our parents there. But then when we said, in fact, Idaho does not invest in preschool education, would you support or do you think that the state should be doing more 
to ensure that children are better prepared when they enter school, overwhelmingly, our voters said absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that that was good news, I guess, in, in, if you want to look at it that way. Um, the other surprising fact in the focus group up north um, with our in, in North Idaho was um, it was uh, you know you certainly have up north uh, you know it's it's the parents' responsibility we right. we heard a lot of that it's the parents' role you probably it's heard not that in Eastern Idaho as well absolutely um, it's not really the government's role so what we heard was. Um, we believe it's the parents' responsibility, but yet we also understand that parents don't necessarily have the resources mm-hmm. and the opportunities to provide those educational opportunities for the for their children um, ages zero to five. So somebody has to do something. That was really surprising to me. Um, and the support that we heard from the focus group up north was primarily the state should be doing something. We know it's the parents' responsibility. We try to do that ourselves, but we also know that um, either the opportunities aren't available or they're not affordable. Right. And parents are doing a lot. They talked a lot about... Um, the the teachers not making um, a, a decent salary, um, especially our preschool teachers, and they understood that that was a challenge as well. Um, the affordability and the access was a challenge. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the message that we took away from that focus group was that uh, the state should be doing something and that we need to find something out. Mm-hmm. Um, and another interesting fact that I found that we learned from our focus group up north was uh, one of the questions was, should our legislators be thinking about this and looking at this issue? And overwhelmingly, they said, absolutely. Our legislators need to be looking at this and, and thinking about this. And they were quite surprised at the fact that Idaho is one of a handful of states that does not invest. They were very surprised about that. They were surprised that half of our kids are entering kindergarten without the skills mm-hmm. um, needed. And... One other point that that they made up north was that um, we talk a lot about reading and that half of our kids are entering without the the reading skills Mm -hmm. needed to enter kindergarten. But one of the reasons that we asked, so do your children, have they gone to preschool? Do they go to preschool? Overwhelmingly, yes, they do. One of the reasons that they, the top reason that they send their children to preschool was for the socialization. Right. And that's one of the things that we, we don't talk about as much. And mm-hmm. we probably should be talking about more. Um, but they recognize that children that aren't, that don't have the social skills needed to enter kindergarten struggle as well. So it's not just about the reading. So that's something that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of months when we talk about um, the next year and we talk about the education campaign and the outreach campaign and our messaging and what that looks like. And the perspective that you're getting from the Kellogg Foundation, I mean, this is an organization that's done this in other states. Mm-hmm. They've looked at states that have been uh, resistant to early education. What are what are you picking up from them that is jumping out at them as, well, we've dealt with this issue before in other states, or, wow, this is kind of a unique uh, phenomenon to Idaho? Mm-hmm. Well, right now in the project, Kevin, um, they're pretty hands-off. And I think that they're just waiting for the final research to see what's happening. You know, they're not interested in really okay. dictating what okay. happens. They, they really are allowing us to figure that out. And they said from the very beginning, um, after this first year, you, your research might tell you to go in one direction, and that's okay, or, or the other direction. So they're pretty hands-off, which is, I guess, pretty great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So I've been thinking a lot about the pre-K issue in the context of the kindergarten issue, especially in the past couple of weeks uh, since mm-hmm. uh, Governor Anderson's passing. And we talked about this, Clark and I, on, on the podcast, that what the state did in kindergarten with the kindergarten law 40-some years ago, which is kind of an incremental process, seems a lot like what you would probably see if uh Idaho were ever to adopt some sort of a pre-K law, right? I mean, that, and that's kind of, is that the end game still, of trying to get some sort of a, an incremental sure. something? Sure, absolutely. And it's interesting that you brought that up because I was thinking about that just this morning in over the past couple of weeks hearing um, how it took years for Governor Andrus mm-hmm. to to um, initiate a voluntary kindergarten program. And um, and Which I, is still I, voluntary, I look at that very, and it's still funded still half voluntary. day, even though you've got a lot of full-day kindergartens around the state. Exactly. Um, but I do, there, there's a lot of similarities to what we're doing here, and um, this is something that is not going to happen overnight. You know, Governor Andrus, it took years for him to do that, when yeah. I think that, um, po- you know, politicians were a lot more friendly towards one another than maybe today. So it is going to take a long time, but it is similar. One of the questions that we did ask in the survey was, um, if the if this opportunity was available, would you would your family participate in a state funded pre K? And overwhelmingly, yes. And it goes back to kindergarten, I believe, and you probably know this better than I. It was about ninety percent of families participated mm-hmm. in the kindergarten program right. once yeah. it once it finally mm-hmm. was initiated. So we're seeing that as well in our polling and our research that families, if it was available, you know, build it and they will come. So you feel like there is a pent up demand out there, though. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and again, it's about opportunity and choices. Right. Um, you know, we would never, uh, and I think that Governor Andrews learned this years ago when, you know, I think initially he wanted it, you know, mandatory, but then someone said, why don't you make it voluntary? He said, okay. So then, you know, it just kind of relieved that, that government overreach mm-hmm. and whatnot. So we're, we're looking at the same thing here. You know, certainly we just want the, it's about opportunities and access. So this is your day job, and your your night job, your volunteer night job in education is as a Boise school trustee. Mm-hmm. You've been you've been on on the job there for nearly a year. You were elected a, a year ago this month. Mm-hmm. Going from looking at the world as an early education mm-hmm. advocate, focused on that as as your your job, to a a position on a school board where you are looking at pre-K through 12th grade because Boise's got some pre-K programs already. What's What's been the learning process for you? What's uh, What's been the big learning moment for you as a new trustee? Sure. Uh, it, you know, I, I will say that it's been a phenomenal experience, and, and I just feel so fortunate that, that I get to sit at the table with um, so many brilliant minds and so fortunate to be with the Boise School District, which in my mind is just, it's just, you know, one of the best school districts ever. Uh, what, you know, I think the biggest thing that I have learned is um, it's complicated. It is complicated. And decisions that are made and um, things that are happening, it, you know, you, you think sitting from the outside, like, well, can't you just change that? That just seems like an easy decision. Uh, but it's not. There are a lot of variables that come into play, whether you're 
Um, you know, closing for a snow day mm-hmm. or if you're looking at a new curriculum or if you're looking at, uh, you know, you've got contracts with the teachers, contract with the transportation department, the food service, you know, all of these different contracts. So it's very complicated and it's just something that you don't think about as an outsider. So what's been like the toughest decision or decisions that you've had to vote on in this year, the ones that have maybe kept you up at night? And because I suspect it may not be uh, necessarily a big picture education topic. It may be uh, a lot smaller, micro level issue that you you sat there and was like, wow, I can see both sides of this and this is this is tough. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we, we came off of a very successful bond election mm-hmm. uh, with overwhelming support. I mean... Probably one of the biggest support that that I've seen in a, in a bond election. I'm hard pressed to think of a higher uh, bond threshold than eighty six percent. Right. So so that was you know um, that was overwhelming. But you know now now we're getting into the the projects themselves right. and. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where all the opinions come out, right? This is where everybody has an opinion on, on how. It, it, the what was easy. Now the how is, is where we're going um, to see. You're putting you know, in how many parking spaces. Right, and... exactly. You know, and, and I appreciate that. And I think that they're all very healthy conversations. And um, I certainly trust the administration. And I think that they're doing a fantastic job. I mean, going back to everything that's complicated, when you have that many projects... But those many, you know, that many people involved, it's very complicated. And, um, and so my hat goes off to the administration for making those decisions and, and trying to appease a, a variety of different mm-hmm. audiences. And, and they're doing a great job. And I'm excited to see these projects get going. I think that we'll be talking about this over the next 10 years mm-hmm. is, is the length of the, the whole project. And, you know, I get asked questions all the time. When is the school getting built? And when is this happening? And when is this happening? And, um, you know, while we, while we would love to do everything today, um, as you can imagine, construction itself in Boise is, is difficult because of all the construction mm-hmm. that's happening. So you throw that into the mix. Right. It's probably more difficult to get oh my folks gosh. out on the ground right. than it would right. have been in a, in a down economy. Right. So, um, but, but the administration is doing a fantastic job of keeping the projects going and um, and also communicating with the community about what's happening mm-hmm. and, um, and providing the opportunities to provide the input from our community um, folks to, to say what, what it is that they think that they want, they don't want, things like that. And all of those um, comments are taken un- under consideration when we're, when, as we're moving forward. Okay. Is there a pet project in all of those projects that you're most attached to it because they're projects in all, all over Boise uh, in this bond issue. I mean, that was the way it was designed was there's something going on at virtually every school in the every district. Every school. Every school will be touched. Uh, you know, I think I'm excited about um, some of the new schools that are coming up. You know, the Harris Ranch School in the mm-hmm. area that that is um, being built, I think, is great. I think what's happening with Whittier and those opportunities that's happening there is, is phenomenal. Um, you've got you the know, rebuild at the Amity the School. You get rid of the um, earthen yeah, berm. Right, right. The, the, the bomb shelter. Um, the rebuild of that. You know, the, the, uh, the work that's being done with the career technical school mm-hmm. as well. 
um, I'm I'm really falling in love with that school and, and really falling in love with those programs that they're doing. And you know, we talk a lot about it, go it, on yeah. and and you know going to college college readiness and everything. And I think that you know I'm hearing, of course, nationally as you are, that let's not forget about our trade industry and that is really really important. And so having those opportunities for our students is just amazing. And that dentist center is a lot more than just trade education, not to diminish the importance of trade education. I may remember as a parent, my oldest son took a zoology class there. That was kind of a joint class that one high school couldn't offer. But if you brought kids from all the high schools together, you'd have critical mass to provide that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot going on out there. And and I encourage um, anyone who doesn't quite know about it to find out more about it. And um, and, and talk to the administration about fi- just finding out what it is. I think that it's one of those little, those, those really great secrets that are being kept. And I think the more that we can talk about what's happening at that, um, at that school, I think the more understanding that, that folks will have. So I encourage folks to look into it. So before I wrap this up, I do want to ask about one controversy that's unfolding around the Boise School District at this point. That hasn't really come to fruition until next summer. It, it involves the start of the eighteen nineteen school year. The district has proposed moving that up a week to sync up with Christmas break, with mm-hmm. holiday break. Mm-hmm. You've taken some some heat over that, some some backlash over it. Uh, walk me through that process as a trustee. The recommendation the the, the district is making, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the criticism of that uh, of that proposal. Sure. So this this is something that that we're um, there we're working through right now. Uh, over this past year, uh, the trustees were were brought this issue, and the whole purpose of this, Kevin, is to end the semester before Christmas break, right. before mm-hmm. winter break. Do the end of course and, assessments right, before, kids of that before kids disperse for kids holidays. Disperse for, you know, it's typically two weeks. It, you know, it varies depending on the calendar. But allowing not only the students to have that break um, and to come back right after the, the, the winter break and really hit the ground running, mm-hmm. and the teachers are able to hit the ground running and, and be able to give that instruction time during those first couple of weeks in January, as opposed to coming back from winter break, having to recap whatever, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people have forgotten. I know that if I'm gone for two weeks or something, it's like, what were we talking about? And then having to take those EOCs. And then after that, you know, we're talking a couple of weeks. Now you're getting started on um, studying for the rest of the semester. Right. And that's mm-hmm. when our AP tests are happening. That's when our SATs are happening during the spring. And so it really allows us a couple of weeks in January to really help provide more instruction so that those kids are having those instructional opportunities to take those tests and be more successful. Um, but it's really about ending at Christmas break. And, um, you know, let's not forget, you know, and when we're hearing, oh, you're taking away our summer, you're taking away our summer, we're really only talking about three to five school days that starting earlier, three to five school days. Um, and let's not forget, 
we're also talking about ending the school year the Friday before Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. So typically, you know, June 4th, 5th, 6th, you come back after Memorial Day, you've got a few more days of school. People are checked out, Mm -hmm. you know, after a three-day weekend at the end of school. So we're going to end... Those are low attendance days. There's probably not as much teachers going to do with those days. There's not enough instruction, you know, not very much instruction happening. So... So by end, so put, so we're looking at a calendar shift. We're not necessarily taking any way, anything away, but we're looking at a calendar shift. And it's really to end. And quite frankly, I didn't know this, but I, I learned that this week that this is an issue that has been talked about for years and years and years. And every year it comes up. Should we change it? The calendar committee uh, with the administ- with the school district. Um, they came up with like 11 different options, and this is the one that they felt was really good to present to the board. So we're going to continue to have this conversation. We're going to continue to look at it. So you're having it's, more focus groups, more discussion right sure, now? Sure, yep. Yeah, there's, there's more focus groups happening, and, um, and I believe that the vote is going to happen in October. Um, we certainly don't want to take away anyone's summer. It's not anyone's intention to do that. It's simply a shift in the schedule, three to five days at most, and um, school days at most, and I think that the, you know, looking at the benefit of ending that break um, at winter break is is, is important, is important. Well, we'll stay tuned and see what happens in October on this. We will, we will, thank you. Beth, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kevin, I appreciate it. And that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of Extra Credit. I want to thank you for listening. And I want to remind you, if you want to catch up on any of these topics and read about any of these topics in detail, just go to idahoednews.org and check out this week's stories. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at Idaho Education News and join the conversation there. And for breaking news, follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. And please come back next Friday for another edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.